Our New Testament passage today picks up in Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. These are the messages to the seven churches of Asia. So he starts, to the angel of the church of Pergamum. All right, so now we're writing to the church of Pergamum. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Okay. The word. The word of Jesus. The sharp two-edged sword with which he wages war also in the battle of Armageddon. He said, I know, here's that, I know again. So please don't ever think that Jesus doesn't know everything, single thing that's going on in a local church. He does. I know. He said, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, man, that's a hard one. Where Satan's throne is. Just like God has a throne, and Satan's famous I wills, he wanted to exalt himself and sit on God's throne, but he doesn't ever get to, and he never will get to, and he never has even touched his bottom to God's throne. But Satan does have a throne. He always imitates God. Satan has a throne on this earth. Now, where is it today? I don't know. But in around 90 AD, Satan's throat throne was in the city of Pergamum. Now, if you look at, now please don't pay any attention to my drawings, all right, but let us see that, say this is the Aegean Sea. Okay, this would be Ephesus down here. Pergamum is right about up here. Okay, this is Pergamum. It's in what's then called Asia. This has been a great revival center. Every Jew and every Greek in all of Asia heard the gospel within a two-year period of time. So this is a great revival center. This is where the seven churches of Asia are located. Now, Satan's throne is located right up here at the top. His throne. His throne. Now, think with me what that means. This is where Satan spent most of his time. This is where Satan ruled his kingdom of darkness on this earth from. This is where all the demon spirits came and reported in. So you, you are looking at a hotbed of demonic activity. He says, I know where you dwell. I, I know you're living there in the middle of Satan's throne. But isn't it interesting that um, God didn't say leave? God never said leave. Just like during the Great Tribulation, the last part, the last three and a half years, God puts his two witnesses, his two great prophets, on Temple Mount, in the temple, after Satan establishes his, his demonic idol in the middle of it. God's two witnesses are there. God never surrenders territory. God never said leave. Yet you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So his throne, his throne, and his dwelling. Now, Antipas was literally the pastor. 
He was the pastor of the church there in Pergamum, and he was killed. Now, historians tell us, now we don't have this from biblical literature, but we have it from ancient church history, that Antipas was literally placed in this big brass hollowed out, lack of a better term, bull, like a cow, only the male, a bull. And then they'd build a flame under it and burn him alive. Now, this was the ancient throne of Zeus. Right? If you will go today to Berlin, one of, Hitler, was, was, Hitler was always fascinated with the occult. Hitler was a demonic possessed person. He was fascinated with the occult. If you will go to Berlin today, you will find the Pergamum Museum. Hitler had literally dismantled this Satan's throne. They dug it up. The archaeologists dug it up. They took it block by block, and they rebuilt it in the city of Pergamum. Is it any wonder the hatred of the Jewish people? Yeah, Satan's throne. Now, do I believe Satan's throne is today in Berlin? Well, no, his old throne is, but he's got a new throne someplace. He said, but I have a few things against you. That's rough that God has a few things against us. He said, some of you there hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. All right, so idolatry and sexual immorality. He said, now, this is the teaching of Balaam. This is a false doctrine. This is a false doctrine focused on preachers. Balaam was a prophet. Now, Balaam wanted money. So th this is a false doctrine that involves a desire for money and it involves stumbling God's people. Now, we often hear Paul talk about this also, the, these doctrines of Balaam, and he warns young preachers against it. Now, th this teaching of Balaam is, is a horrible thing. It's when preachers get so interested in money that they're willing to stumble God's people into sexual immorality and into idolatry. In other words, you know, okay, it's okay for you to go to the clubs. It's okay for you to have a number two. It's okay to do all this. Just bring your tithes. You know, he, he would not, he would not stop Okay, there's things he could not do, like he could not curse Israel, but he could teach people how to separate Israel in their relationship with God. And that's what he did. I don't want to get into that because that's a whole doctrine. He said, you also have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which is the doctrine of control by compromise. We talked about that yesterday. Okay, this is control by compromise. And and you think that that is not a controlling doctrine, but compromise is a very controlling doctrine. Now, notice they hold, they hold. These are things they have been corrected from and they still hang on to. So they have been corrected. Oh, I'll be happy when they produce a new computer. I'll get my pen to work here in a minute. Corrected, but stop, but rebel. 
In other words, they've been told this is a wrong doctrine, but they, they hold to it anyway. They, they don't particularly care what anybody thinks. They're going to hold to their doctrine. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and wage war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, who is the them? It's these people who hold to the teaching of Balaam, and it's these people who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So, I want you to notice, God goes to war against false doctrines. Wow. And war against. God goes to war against people who hold to these doctrines of Balaam and doctrines of the Nicolaitans. Now, that's something people don't like to hear about, but you know what? God wants his church to have solid faith. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there's that same thing we keep hearing again and again. If you got an ear, then you have to choose to hear. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I like that. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who received it. Now, you put a question mark in your Bible. I could sit here and teach you what all that means, but I'm trying to teach you to ask questions. He'll give you a white stone and a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. <laughs> to the angel of the church of Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like flame and fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now notice, up here he's the two-edged sword because he's going to make war with his word against these guys with false doctrine. Now we have a different revelation, and I taught you yesterday that each of these revelations comes from a part of the big revelation in Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus when he laid out, this is who I am and what I do and what I look like today, and then he takes a piece of it and applies it to each church as they need to understand it. So like at COP, there are specific things we understand about God that we need for our situation. And there are other churches because of their situation. There are specific things. Now, all of the truth is true, but there are things that God really emphasizes with every local church. He said, and here's that, I know again, I know. He said, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Now, that, that's wonderful. God knows these things. So he says, okay, Thyatira. <laughs> look at you. I know your works. I know all that you're doing for me, your accomplishments. I know your love for me. I know your faith in me. I know your service. I know your patient endurance. And I know you're doing more now than you ever used to do. He said, but I have this against you. Now, here's that against again. Okay? Against. Against that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself, so this is a claim without reality, calls herself a prophetess and she is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now notice, up here we're dealing with teaching, up, up in this section, this is, this is all dealing with teaching I use a brown one here. All of this is dealing with teaching. And now again, we're dealing with teaching. You, you've got a woman who is a self-called prophetess. And she's teaching people. But in her teaching, she seduces people. 
to practice sexual, not just to do it, but to practice a lifestyle. To practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols. So here, you, you always have to beware. Beware of the self-called. He said, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So one of the things that you learn is that preachers preach their lifestyle is okay. She was living a sexual immorality, so she taught everybody it's okay. And he said, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses. Now, this is the patience of God. This is incredible patience of God. He said, behold, I will throw her on a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her, I'll throw in a great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. Then he continues, I will strike her children dead. And he said, the fruit, all the churches will know. Now, all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. Now, I want you to go back up. Eyes of flaming fire. Feet of burnished bronze. This refers to judgment. Okay, he steps on people with feet of burnished bronze. This is a concept of judgment. He said, so I want you to understand. I, I, I can see everything, and you know what? I'm going to judge things. Now, he said, and I want all the churches to know that I do judge things. I, I search and I judge. And he said, you know, I've been really patient about all this, but, but never mistake my patience for a lack of, of, of holiness. Now, notice, he said he would throw her on a sickbed. <laughs> In other words, God doesn't make people sick, but he's going to take all the hands off and just say, Satan, go ahead and do the destruction. And people who commit adultery with her are going to go into lots of trouble. You know, one of the things that you try to teach people, and I try to teach young men this, and I try to teach old men this. You know, if you're going to go out and live in sexual immorality, you know what? You're going to enter into great tribulation. Okay. I mean, you're going to be thrown, not, not just slowly move into it. You're going to be thrown into great tribulation. Horrible chaos and pressures and problems of life. This is the fruit of it. He said, but the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching. So, you know, there were people who thought this was wrong, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. Now, ah, this is her doctrine. Jezebel's doctrine. Deep things of Satan. This is how you defeat Satan. You defeat Satan. And, and you know, you can just imagine. I have no idea what, what her doctrines were, but you can just use your imagination. Satan is death. One of the deep things of Satan, deep truths of understanding Satan is we create life. We give birth. Sex is an act of love. This is how you defeat. I mean, you can just imagine the, the weird stuff that this woman would get into. He said, to you, I say, I do not lay a hand on you. I do not lay on you any other burden. He said, you know what? Life, life is tough enough right now with all this sexual immorality, with all of this false doctrine in your church. Life is tough enough right now. He said, only hold fast 
what you have until I come. Hold on to truth. To the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. Here's the rule. And reign with Jesus. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is Jesus. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. Jesus is the morning star. He's I'm going to give you myself. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous, tremendous truth. And, you know, I could take sentences of that and teach you for hours on it. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is the first century church. This is the second generation of Christians. And this is already the horrible attack we see in these seven churches. Revival is met by Satan putting his throne in Pergamum, and all of these false doctrines and everything flow from there. You have to understand, Satan never lets revival stand unchallenged. Within a generation of revival, Satan brings horrible onslaught. But the people of God who hold fast to truth, they're going to be just fine. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Old Testament passage today picks up in the book of Joel, chapter 1. Now, there's not a great deal known about Joel, except what we see in this very first sentence, the son of Bethuel. Okay, that, that's about all we know of Joel. Okay, we don't know much else. The word of the Lord. Okay, so the source of the prophecy. And I've taught you in the past how important all of that is. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, O inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it, and let your children tell their children, and let their children tell another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locusts have eaten. I mean, talk about destruction. Okay, this is, this is, this is, destructing devastation. This is the double D, because notice the swarming, the hopping, the destroying, the cutting, four different plagues of locusts. Now, by the time four plagues of locusts have moved through a land, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine. Because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. <laughs> you know, people who want to talk about that it's all right to drink wine and stuff, you know, they, they take a few verses out of context. But when you look at the rest of Scripture, Awake, you drunkards, weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine. You say, hey, it's cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The grounds mourn. Because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dresses, for the wheat, the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of men. Wow. Gladness dries up from the children of men. The food is gone. We're talking about a major famine. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. There's, there's nothing to give. There's nothing to give. Now, can, can you imagine the condition of this? God says, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is not just provision for the leaders. This, this is the sacrifice. This is, this, is, this is how worship was done. And he said, there's nothing to give. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Now notice, gather to the house of the Lord your God. Place where we gather. 
Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God? Now, the house of God is a theme here. Priests, ministers of the altar. The seed shrivels under the clods. Nothing grows. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. So, okay, nothing grows. Nothing harvested. How the beasts groan. The herds of the cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of the sheep suffer. There's, There's no food. For any living thing. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up. The fire has destroyed the pastures of the wilderness. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain, that's Jerusalem. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and a powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will it ever be again throughout all the years of all generations. Wow. A great and a powerful, this is an army that is about to attack. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness. So here's the before, and here's the after. I'm trying to remember, so don't quote me on this, okay? Put a big question mark in But I think this was the Assyrian attack. Now, I've also read some scholars say this was a Babylonian attack, But I think I've read that this is an Assyrian attack. A huge army came and just devastated the land. But the devastation that's documented by the Babylonians is also a huge devastation. And, you know, there's a great deal of debate among theologians about when exactly this prophecy was given. So the land was like a garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness. Nothing escapes them. Now, brothers and sisters... This is what enemies do. Enemies take what was before and make it an after. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, like war horses they run. As with rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish and all faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. Can't be stopped. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens rumble. The sun and moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful.
for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? The prophecies of judgment that came against Israel for their sin, these are hard to read. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that there's just as much grace. God hasn't changed. There's just as much grace and love and forgiveness and mercy in the Old Testament as there is in the New Testament. God hasn't changed. But in the New Testament, sometimes we focus on those things and we forget that God is still a holy God. And what we read in Revelation earlier is God does judge the church when the church goes astray too. We are his people. Now on that very painful thought, let's live a holy life. Folks, we're not perfect. There's no perfect Christian but Jesus. We're all a work in progress. But let's work to live a holy life. You know, I I, I look at these preachers who, who live in sin and, and go out and try to act all holy on Facebook and stuff. And, and you know, but I see the same thing among the Christians. <laughs> There's none of us that are perfect, so don't try to act that way. But at the same time, Let's do try, by the grace of God and the help of God, to live a holy life. Judgment always starts at the house of God. Judgment always starts with the people of God. Please, if you're not living right today, get right today. Ask his forgiveness. Ask him to change your heart. Don't, don't keep going like Jezebel did that we read earlier. Don't keep going like her followers did. Don't keep going. Repent. God will show you mercy. Amen. You know how to do it. Just go find a place right there in the corner of your room right now and cry out to God. God will never push you away. He will only forgive you and show mercy to you. All right. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.